Hello and welcome to Postgres FM, a weekly show about all things PostgreSQL. I'm Michael, founder of PG Mustard. This is my co-host Nikolai, founder of Postgres AI. Hey Nikolai, what are we talking about today? Oh, hi Michael, last time we, we talked about read-only workloads and the case when we have data being not changed for significant periods. So how can we adjust everything for such kind of workload? Let's talk about different case. To extend this discussion, let's consider... Uh, the case when we change things very quickly, particularly let's discuss the idea of using Postgres for queuing or message system. Like we have some tasks, we need to process them and consider being processed and so on. So instead of using things like RabbitMQ, Kafka, Sidekick or something like that, let's consider having similar thing right in Postgres. Yeah, I hadn't considered about it being nearly the opposite of last week's episode. But yeah, there was a popular discussion on Hack News very recently on this. And it's not only after popular, we ch- it's one of the most popular topics related to database in general. If you check how many times it was, like every backend engineer, I think, experienced backend engineer, implemented this on their own. Queue in, in relational database. Well, it feels to me a little bit like the MySQL versus Postgres thing, right? It's like yeah, people comparing, people kind of having strong opinions one way or the other. Or stored procedures. First. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that there are good arguments on both sides. Should we even use a relational database as a queue? If if so, why? Like when? And if not, which of the... Well, it doesn't tend to be which of the various queuing specific services to use. It seems to be much more of a holy war between should you use a dedicated queuing tool or can you get away with putting it in the relational database? Yeah, I've, uh, there are two big camps here. Mm-hmm. But I would say if you are, if you, you cannot stop uh, people from using ORMs or from using storage procedures. And uh, in my opinion, queue in Postgres is absolutely nice and good idea if it's implemented correctly. And if it's ready to scale, to grow, to handle performance aspects. Yeah. Do you want to talk about why we'd use it versus a dedicated queuing tool? Yeah, let's let's talk about why. When we develop something, at some point we need it. We need some uh, queuing mechanism or message delivery system, message bus. Uh, there are differences in terminology here, but it doesn't matter. We have some signal, we need to propagate this signal, and we need to process it asynchronous. Asynchronously is the key word here, yes, asynchronous uh, processing. And uh, latency should be small, throughput should be big, large, should be good, and uh, and that's it, right? And in some cases, maybe maybe like exactly once. Well, yeah, there might be multiple consumers. There might be cases when we want retries, uh, we, when we mm-hmm. we want a, a reliable delivery of any message and so on. Like obviously, like many many requirements that are set. But the question is, should we start using a special tool? separate to our relational database such as Postgres. Or we can use Postgres itself, for example. And you cannot stop people from using Postgres, first of all. I observed, like, I observed it, first of all, I did it myself. And eventually, I quite, quite quickly, I switched to PGQ from SkyTools. It was very good in terms of characteristics, but it required some maintenance. 
And you cannot uh, use it on managed Postgres unless it's uh, directly supported because it requires additional uh, worker next to Postgres. You cannot use it on RDS, for example, right? Yeah. But uh, I liked uh, the idea to be inside database due to number of reasons. We will return to them. Uh, then in my career, like consulting career, a lot of consulting practice and also startup career. So I have two things to notice. One, quite often you come to some database trying to help them work with Postgres and see hotspots and Sometimes, quite often, one of or a few hotspots is some table which is uh, having queue-like workloads. And it experiences a lot of bloat, sudden degradation on performance, and they ask you to help. This is a very, very common request for any consulting DBA with experience, which is a sign that people try to keep it in a relational database and have problems. And this is, uh, of course, cons item, right? Because... Uh, yep. If you do it in a straightforward way, not thinking in advance, you will end up uh, with this hot spot in terms of performance issues. And then, on the other hand, every few weeks on Hacker News and all other places, we see a discussion, so many discussions, like new tool to implement queue in, in Postgres, or we replaced RabbitMQ just with Postgres. Uh, this tool, that tool, for Ruby, for, for Python, anything, like we so many tools. I even remember how I helped uh, like eight years ago or so. I helped. There is a small library called Delayed Jobs. Uh, Ruby guys should know it. It's quite old. I found my clients using it and complaining. Like it doesn't handle our load. Just check into the code, check to PGStar statements and understand like two simple actions and it can scale 100x. I even opened pull request in their GitHub, but they... I think uh, they still didn't merge it, saying we, we need support to support MySQL. That's why this, uh, like, I don't know. But I had a lot of thumbs up from people who found how to improve performance of delayed jobs library. And we will talk about how to make it right. But back to the reasons question. Why inside database? Obviously, obviously, you don't want to manage yet another system sometimes, right? And then one more thing, it's uh, ACID principles, right? We, we want... Transactions, atomacy. yeah. Exactly. We want atomacy, and this is probably one of the brightest reasons here. And we want, of course, backups, like uh, HA characteristics, and so on. Crash recovery. like Many, yeah. many things, like right, isolation, like many things. Mm -hmm. And Postgres covers, in a very good way, many, many requirements we might have. For example, if you work with some system, if you have monolith, or it's a microservice and you, you need something internally because we need to distinguish situations when we need queuing system inside something or we need it as a mechanism to communicate between two services, for example, right? But if it's inside, you have transactions, you rely on transactions. Of course, you, do, you don't want RabbitMQ, for example, or Kafka to have inconsistent data, right? For example, we commit a transaction but then we, st we started to write event to our external additional tool. Somehow we didn't accept writes, inconsistency. Or even worse, we had transaction. Inside transaction, we wrote to Kafka, and then we had rollback. Now we have event which should not be there. Again, inconsistency, very not nice situation. But you know what? Uh, people solve this. There are microservice patterns. It's called transactional outbox. Let cool. me explain. Very, it, it's a very simple idea. I, I'm quite sure I implemented myself it several times, but people gave it a nice name. 
Those are our listeners who are backend engineers probably know it, this transactional outbox, especially if you worked with a microservices approach. So when you inside your transaction doing some things and you need to create a message, you just write it to a special table, this like outbox table. You write a row, you commit, everything is good, right? And then later consumers pull it this message and deliver to your messaging system outside of Postgres uh, can be again Kafka, RabbitMQ, anything, Sidekick, many systems, right? And uh, and Mark has, has already delivered, right? It can be in batches somehow asynchronously. You can split yeah. it up with various ways, but in this case, uh, you have guaranteed delivery and eventually consistent state, <laughs> which for microservices is is quite quite good. It's very simple idea. And it yeah. works. Right. I do think you're right. I do think the ACID performance of Postgres or, you know, the strengths of Postgres there really is the main reason that it should be chosen. But I think the main reason it is chosen in general is actually the other one. I think it's the simplicity angle or not having yeah. multiple, like people are familiar with it already, not having to learn a new system, not having to do backups of another system, not having to do ops on another system. It doesn't crash um, as often as RabbitMQ does, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, people, I think quite a lot of the time I'm reading these blog posts and at least in the comments, people are suggesting, you know, it isn't that that tool is necessarily bad. It's that there's a le- that the people writing the post didn't know about one feature in it or didn't know how to overcome a certain issue or they were holding the tool wrong. So it's it's not necessarily that you can't do those things with those tools. It's more that you have to learn them. You have to get good at them. And it's it's that takes experience and time. And why do that if you've already got a perfectly capable tool, even if it's not the perfect tool, perfectly capable one in your back pocket that you already know? Right. Yeah. So the reasons are obvious, and and I myself I work with all systems uh, in both camps. Sometimes there is a mix actually, but I'm definitely if I need to choose, I I belong to the camp which says it's perfectly okay idea to have queue right inside Postgres, but you need to take care of a few things, just a few things actually two, two things that's it. I'm going to interrupt <laughs> you because I I actually was going to ask you this later, but I'm tempted to ask you it now. Is there, do you think there's a scale at which you would stop saying that you should use Postgres for queuing or is it as scalable yeah. as other solutions? Definitely. We consider a regular Postgres approach with single primary node. So there is definitely the ceiling when we saturate our CPU or disk IO with writes. And this write workload can, cannot be offloaded to standby nodes. So we need to we need multiple writer nodes or multiple primary nodes. At this case, you can either you need to either scale using Postgres uh, in one way or another, probably sharding or, or something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my, but microservices approach uh, minimizes this need. It postpones it very well because, yeah. like, if you split vertically to services. You need one of the services uh, not to be able to be split further, and you need it to be so big that you already need sharding, right? So you need either to scale somehow to have multiple primary nodes, or you need to ready to give up and say, okay, enough. Inside Postgres, we need to offload it. But this moment will be so far, far yeah. from the beginning. If you have, for example, modern Intel or AMD Epic uh, third generation, Intel is like 128 vCPUs and any big cloud provider can provide it easily. 
or these EPIC processors, 244 vCPUs. You can scale your writes really, really well. You can have dozens of thousands of writes if they are quite well-tuned and you are okay. Per second, I mean. Yeah, I was just going to check for yeah, makes it of course per day according to some of the hacker news. Oh, it's so like you um, you, you can ha- you can handle billions of writes per day on one node. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 definitely possible. But you will need to take care of several things. I said two actually. I yes. have three already items. Usually I always said like okay, yet another article is popping up <laughs> on hacker news top like we had it last week once again, right? Mm-hmm. And my regular checklist for such articles or new tools does it use for updates keep locked and second that was a huge change that was a huge improvement wasn't it no i will explain why no (laughs) i'm i'm about to exclude it from my list (laughs) i will let's discuss it let's discuss it but (laughs) uh, uh, normally it's in the list but in my opinion it's overrated by uh but you know like there are there is a spiral uh uh, growth right when you have experience you think wow this is super important then you have more experience you think well it's overrated it's not that important there are ma- more important things so okay uh, for updates keep locked let's keep it in the list for a while uh, maybe mm-hmm. we'll remove it in the end of our discussion uh, second is uh, how people address dead tuple and bloat issues right? yeah right huge that's the one big downside i'd say of the postgres yeah, right. So yeah, that's that. Obviously, locking is important, and we should talk about how to how to avoid. Yeah, p- bloat seems to me like the one that not many people talk about, and not many of the tools solve for very well. If people don't talk about bloat when talking about Q like workloads, uh, they do poor job. I mean, in Postgres, yeah. this is uh, poor quality material because this is actually number one problem. When you grow. Because how you handle uh, already processed rows, dead apples, like we have high churn system in this case, right? We have something which expires very quickly. We processed it. We need to get rid of it. And Postgres MVCC is very well known to have issues in this area. Dead apple issues or bloat issues as a consequence of dead apple issues. And uh, how you handle it defines uh, your limits, basically. And mm-hmm. when you uh, defines how fast you will start having performance issues in your system. Okay, number three item is uh, your queries and how efficient they are, how many buffers they touch each time, right? So nice. if you check explain analyze buffers, so we want as low buffer numbers as possible. Great. Hint index only scan, right? Yeah, <laughs> obviously. I'm going to suggest we talk about bloat first because I feel like the locking one's going to get a little bit uh, subtle, and I think we'd be we'd be nice to have had the bloat discussion already because I think that's going to play into it, and then maybe do the query performance thing as like a tuning thing last. What do you think? Yeah, well, bloat is the number one question for me th- these <laughs> days, at least. Like, uh, if you ask me five years ago, I would probably start talking about. Uh, you see, I started with uh, skip locked first. Yeah. But it's already quite advertised, so everyone knows about skip skip lock. We will return to it and discuss why it's not not number one anymore for me. But why bloat is number one? It's because this is where you will have this hotspot issue. Like this is exactly when performance will start degrade very quickly. And for example, if you like, question is check your pgstat user tables and check tuple stats. How many inserts, deletes, updates you have? 
Of course, a lot of inserts, it's like we have incoming events. But then what do we do with these tuples? Do we update them or just delete or both? And what's the ratio here? Looking at this ratio, we understand our pattern, right? And each update physically consists of delete and insert. We know it. I'm not tired to keep talking and reminding this. If you say update my table set ID equals ID where ID equals one, you will have new tuple. Even if logically you didn't change anything, right? So it produces new tuple, marking and all worse, as that as, as deleted first. Not, yeah. Right. And worse, may, may update indexes as well. Well, uh, yes. So so it it depends. Uh, hot updates uh, are smarter a little bit since we we didn't actually change the value, right? So probably this update will become hot, but it depends also if we have space in this same page. Of heap Even page. if that's an index column, that's cool if it does that. I didn't realize it did. It's if okay. ID column is is primary key probably, right? It's our surrogate primary key, but we didn't change value. I believe hot. I, I'm not hundred percent confident here. Worth checking. Yeah, but let's I, check. But I believe since we actually didn't change the value in this uh, idle update, right? Uh, in this case, hot update might happen. But my main point is that updates in general, we have the right ampl amplification yeah, problem yeah. as well as just the new yeah. uh, tuple in the... Yeah, in the I'm, I, might, I might be wrong and hot update might, might not happen if even if we don't change. But even if I'm right, in some cases, we still won't have hot update. For example, if there yeah. is no more space in the same page, we need to go to yeah. another page. In this case, definitely we will have write amplification. All indexes mm -hmm. that the table has will need to receive these writes. And all these writes will go to wall. It will go to backups. It will go to replication. It's like multi amplification of writes, actually. <laughs> write amplification, yeah. that's why the name, right? Yeah. And it's, it, it's a lot of overhead. So why I'm talking about this? Because in the queue approach, what do we do with our record? We probably mark it like status equals processed. Or, or deleted, from right? like Or deleted, like mm -hmm. soft delete. Like we don't actually, we have, we, row exists, but it's marked as deleted, right? Or like from pending to retry to, to process something. We have some status or something, right? Or we can just directly delete it, right? Also. Yep. But updates will produce deleted dead tuples and delete will produce dead tuples. Mm -hmm. And if we go very fast and we want to go very fast, we will end up accumulating a lot of dead tuples. And then the question, uh, will AutoVacuum be able to catch up? With default settings, it won't be able to catch up, right? We will accumulate a lot, a lot of dead tuples and then AutoVacuum will delete them, convert to bloat. AutoVacuum is a, a converter of dead tuples to bloat. Right, <laughs> in most cases, I'm joking, right? But but in most cases, it's so, because we already created new pages, and if AutoVacuum deletes that tuples not in the end of table, it cannot truncate this page. It will yeah. keep maybe whole page will be empty sitting there, just contributing to bloat. That's it. I think this is slightly counterintuitive though, because I think some of the AutoVacuum settings, for example, are scale based so for example because we're dealing with a queue table of only probably of only unprocessed rows or let, i'm assuming you're deleting them you you might think that 
even if it's a bit bloated, it's not a big table still. But if we're talking about the case where we keep them around or a case where we have a bit of a runaway queue for a while or, you know, in the case of an issue, this can quickly happen and crucially is not undone. So each time we get an accumulation, we'll accumulate more in future unless we have a strategy for over time getting rid of that bloat. Right. Well, yes. Also, don't don't forget that some long transaction might happen or on standby reporting to, via hosted by feedback being on and preventing AutoVacuum from deleting the tuples. It says, I, I found the tuples, but I cannot delete them because probably some transaction still needs it. And it's a global problem. So it, it keeps them and then, again, converts them to bloat. And this is exactly a hot spot yeah. I mentioned. This is this looks like we have a thousand live rows, but the table size is 10 gigabytes. You say, what? 10 gigabytes for 1,000 rows. What's happening here? Yeah. You shared with me that there's a good, really good blog post by Brander about this yeah. specific issue. They argue at the end that that's a really good reason to not have this in your main database and have maybe a separate. That's my interpretation of the argument. Good, good yeah. post from conclusions. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Great. Okay. So what can we do instead? We can do like insane, but quite reliable way you just put vacuum full to cron why not no it takes a second <laughs> it blocks everyone but in, inside the second you have fresh state well i guess it is a queue and therefore what's the worst that happens things are delayed a little bit but you can't insert into it yeah i must admit i never did it for for serious clients but i consider it as a valid idea in some cases if you need to like stop this fire Stop this hotspot from happening. Just put it as a very fast and like quick and dirty mitigation approach and it will help. This like a latency spike of one second for, for all those who work with this table, it's not a big issue compared to constant pain they feel from degradation related to bloat and dead tuples. By the way, dead tuples themselves can be a problem. For example, when you delete in batches, you do everything right, but in, and you have index-only scan, and then you start noticing that index-only scan, even if it deals with same number of rows, somehow deals with more and more buffers. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it scans through all those dead tables all the time. And yeah. solution to that, by the way, also like probably vacuum is one thing, but probably in some cases solution is to I like independent queries. I I'm a big fan of them. Independent queries they like. Find me next thousand of rows to process, process and delete, or just delete. Sometimes we just need to delete, clean up job, something. Mm -hmm. Like find next thousand, delete, find next. I don't care. I have a reliable way to order them. I have indexes, all good, index only scan. But somehow then more and it degrades, degrades over time. And you realize auto vacuum cannot catch up and you just keep scanning through all those dead tuples. And the solution is to introduce context and move away from idempotency. Just remember last ID, for example, or something timestamp, and start, start from there. You, you skip all those dead tuples. I saw, yeah, the idempotency thing's an interesting one. I saw somebody discussing using keys and having, and then maybe they called it some kind of jitter to make sure that if, if for example, everyone had skipped, so maybe we'll get onto this with the skip locks. If, for example, workers had skipped ahead and there was a job left behind that number or behind that date or when it, right. um, like an old job. So you might have to sometimes forget, like one of your workers maybe forgets its latest um, 
key context. every now and again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just to go back and example. fetch some old. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they're, they're, I think there's a little bit of extra engineering needed if you go that uh, route. Well, yeah, but at first run, it will scan through all the tuples and then it will be, keep remembering the position, for example. It depends. I, I'm still a big fan of idempotent queries. I like them. I yeah. do. But sometimes I, we need to... Uh, we have trade-off here, right? But yeah. we didn't discuss the main solution to bloat. Except, before we do, ah, okay. before we do quickly, vacuum full, what would happen? What happens with indexes? Rebuild. Do they get they rebuild? Okay. Yeah. It's and like because re- it's a small amount of data with. We can run PG repack uh, against table and all its indexes. It will be the same. It will be better, of course. And people do this actually, but vacuum fill also works. But there's no point in, in because a, we have a better solution that you're about well, to say. Well, repacking is a good, better than vacuum full, of course, because uh, it will lead to much very brief period of exclusive lock. Right, so yep. very, very brief, and it's very graceful and so on. Vacuum full is a big hammer, of course, like a boom, like, and we are, we are good again. So PG Repack is a valid solution for those who want to get rid of problem and continue working as nothing happened. But uh, if you want to design the system uh, to scale for really good TPS transactions per second uh, and uh, with low latency and handle a lot of uh, events per second in a reliable way inside Postgres, you need partitioning, right? You need partitioning. And uh, a good lesson can be learned from PGQ, from Skype, as I mentioned. It existed almost 20 years ago. Yeah, this is super cool. And I hadn't even really thought this through, but they can't have been using for update skip locked for it because it didn't exist then. It was uh, skip locked uh, not, was only introduced in 9.5. Well, advisory logs probably already existed. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But we, we didn't start talking about how to improve throughput. So let's return to skip log uh, slightly later. I'm talking about yes. bloat and dead tuple issues. And right. And they had partitioning. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, declarative partitioning didn't exist at that time. So they used inheritance-based partitioning. Three yeah. partitions and rotation. Right, so we use one partition, we maintaining another one, and one, third one is like on idle. And maintaining means like we just truncate. Yeah. That's it. Truncate is fast. I was trying to work out why there are three. Is it that we have one that new rows are going into currently, one where we're trying to finish the final jobs in it, just you know, yes. while we're switching between partitions, and then the third one that is... Honestly, I don't remember. For... I remember okay. I used it and I actually applied a similar approach in different systems because it's a very smart approach. Yep. Skype had a requirement to handle a billion users. So they designed a very good system here. And yep. it's, it's still alive, by the way. It lacks good documentation probably, but I asked people about queue in Postgres and I was super surprised. I'm checking numbers right now. 105 votes on Twitter. I asked on LinkedIn as well, and 7.6%, so maybe it's like eight people around yeah. there, said, I'm a PGQ user. So big respect. PGQ is great still. Like you need to cook it, of course, right? But it's enterprise uh, level solution. If you manage to work with PGQ, you can work with very large volumes of events per second, uh, low latencies, you're in good hands. But nowadays we have declarative partitioning and, for example, timescale also helps automate it. And I wonder if there are around people who implemented a good queue system based on timescale. If there are such people around, please let us know. I would like to learn 
because I have similar situations in my area as well. So partitioning gives you ability, gives you benefits. We discussed benefits from partitioning, but here most benefits are you can divide and conquer, right? So you have partitions which are already fully processed. You can just drop them, right? Get rid and of them. And that's important because whatever bloat they've accumulated during care. the time that they during the time that they're ex- exactly they, that's all now gone. Right. So instead of fighting with bloat, you just forget about it, get rid of it, and that's it. But of course, uh, you need to design it in a way that it's not like we work with all partitions all the time, right? So you you you, you need to have some partitions which are already fully processed. So you need to consider them as like done, and you just drop them. Or you can ha- implement some rotation with truncate. So you truncate actually recreates file, and you have fresh state again, like no zero rows, indexes are empty. You start from scratch, zero bloat. So yeah. th- this is ultimate solution to bloat. Just drop, get rid of it fully inside table. And partitions, it's a physical table, so we can do it. And also, of course, it gives you data locality for a lot of benefits. So you can keep old partitions for quite long, even if they accumulated some bloat and so on. New partitions don't see them and they don't suffer from issues old partitions have. Yeah, but the main benefit is very, very simple and easy bloat management. Right, right. Cool. So, right, now skip uh, for updates, skip locked. Yes. It's a very cool feature. But it's needed when you when one worker is not enough, right? And in some cases, it's enough. That's a really good point. Lots of cases. It's related to third question. Let's let's talk about. I, I'm trying to downvote uh, the importance of skip locked, and I do it by purpose. Yeah. Let's discuss query performance. We've already touched this uh, a lot of dead tuple accumulated case, mm-hmm. right? But in general, the advice is try to have index only scans. Here, auto vacuum should be tuned again because we want heap fetches to be as low as possible, ideally zero all the time. In practice, it's usually non zero, but we don't want, uh, like, index only scan, it's good when it's like when have, have heap fetches is close to zero because in this case, we, uh, Postgres executor doesn't need to consult heap. If it does need to consult heap, it's, it's similar to index scan already, right? It's degra- so degraded index-only scan is index scan, right? So to have real index-only scan, we need to keep AutoVacuum quite aggressive to keep visibility maps up to date, to know which pages are marked or all visible. So if they are marked all visible, uh, index-only scan can avoid consulting to heap and deal only with index. And to achieve that, sometimes we need to use cover covered indexes so include additional columns it depends yeah or even in in later versions of postgres i don't think there's that much benefit of the includes um i think if anything there might even be benefit of not using it because of the deduplication um, oh yeah advice is to consider postgres 14 or or 15 yeah yeah 14 is great 13 was good 13 is great already the b3 deduplication is great it uh, helps with bloat as well. I think it only deduplicates on ordered columns, though, not on includes, for example. There are several things there. But okay, never I, mind. Let's. It's a minor point, but index-only scan. So is this for the update query? Like, which queries? For selects. For, uh, for queries like find next item to process. Or yeah, cool. multiple items. Right. 
So this kind of queries. And of course, as for updates or deletes, if we deal with updates, we, try, we want to try to make them hot, heap only tuple updates. To do that, sometimes I see people um, consider reducing fill factor even for tables, which is 100 by default. So they reduce it for like 50. So let's have room in each. We have we have artificial bloat initially, like 50% is out. I don't mind it, yeah. But our updates are faster. If we set status equals processed, most likely it goes to the same page. No index amplification is good. So, and so you we probably then can't or don't want to index your status column, for example. Right, right. Well, yeah, it depends. But yeah, we need to take care. We need to be careful. Sometimes we try to avoid additional index because we know we will be updating for status, for example, right? Yeah. And we know, like, okay, how many rows with these like parameters will have status like multiple statuses maybe no like let, let's let's not have status in indexes for example and in this case but because if you have status in indexes in any of indexes even if in where clause in par par partial index and then you update status to something of course this update cannot be hot anymore so that's exactly. it so it, it's full-fledged update having all right amplification right so we Speaking of query performance uh, related to our workload, we need to like we probably can uh, divide it into two parts. First, the task of purely select how to find next row to process or batch, mm -hmm. right? The index only scan should be there. And second, write itself. It can be updated, it can be delete. Well, insert also interesting, but I hope insert is quite fast usually maybe also worth checking but usually it's like number three item probably so update it's good to have hot update delete what can we do with delete i don't know with delete we just mark it as a process as a dead tuple that's it so sometimes also people like to have returning to yeah to send get the ideas result to application code also handy sometimes people like to have multiple stages and write cte combining yeah. maybe updates delete something like in single query and this is this is reduces round trip round trip time so in one query you can do multiple things all together and in single query from application code but overall you can reach like it's good if you, your selects are much less than one millisecond even if you have a lot of rows our queue table usually doesn't have a lot of rows, right? Especially if it's partitioned and so on. And for uh, write operations, one or a few milliseconds is a, is a good performance, usually, right? If it's more yeah. than 10 milliseconds, I would doubt it's good, right? Well, especially because we're talking about updating only a single row in general. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it feels like we need to talk about the... It's time to talk about skip yeah. locked. Okay, now okay, now we see, for example, our write operations take two milliseconds. It means that we cannot process when when we have single worker, latency and throughput are very well connected, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you have a second, two milliseconds, fifty operations per second only. This is our throughput. If it's not enough, okay, we, we, let's have multiple workers. We might have multiple workers due to some different reasons sometimes, right? Because uh, just one worker does this, another worker does that. I don't know. Yep. Well, but if it's for, for throughput, we must uh, understand that they might confl conflict. They will conflict eventually, right? And uh, if one, pro like we cannot update same row 
at the same time twice, right? So if one is updating until the very end of transaction, commit or rollback, exclusive lock will be on this row, right? And yeah. another worker will be just waiting on it. It can be seen in wait events analysis very well. In this case, we can use uh, for update no wait or for update skip lock. No wait will just fail. Like you fail as fail fast and retry, startup approach, yeah. right? <laughs> so, or skip lock, give me next row or few rows. Yeah. Batching also interesting topic, by the way, but let's, we, we don't have time for it, but yeah. So yeah. if you handle that apples and bloat very well, if you have tuned queries and you know that your queries will be always quite fast, you probably don't need multiple workers. But of course, if you need multiple workers, go ahead and use skip locked. But remember, if you, for example, use Django or something, and like sometimes like subtransactions might pop up. And with yeah, for update skip locked, uh, if you have subtransactions, you might have issues on replicas and some and like so. Go and read my article about subtransactions. There are dangers there. So regularly select for update is okay. But combined with subtransactions, it's not fun. Good point. But in general, it's a good thing. By the way, someone on Twitter mentioned also the problem when uh, the executor needs to scan over a lot of rows which are already locked. It's a similar problem as we discussed with dead tuples, right? So we have a lot of locks, rows already locked and trying to find unlocked ones. We have like degraded performance as well, right? But I think yeah. it's kind of edge case maybe. I think so. It'd have to be like, you'd have to be doing things in batches and maybe have lots of workers before I could see that becoming a big issue. But yeah, definitely can see how it would happen at scale. Yeah. So that's it. And if you, if you have multiple workers, you definitely can achieve many, many thousands of transactions per second on good hardware, of course, and maybe dozens of thousands of transactions per second. That should be enough for most systems already these days. Right, ninety nine point nine nine percent. I think, yeah. Well, um, obviously, there are cases when we need more, but this is yeah. already good, good enough. So, summary is bloat is our main enemy here. That apple and bloat, and partitioning. Consider is, partitioning, yeah. Yeah, with proper rotation or partitioning strategy, right? Yep. Second is uh, check, explain, analyze buffers, and uh, have good plans uh, for your queries. And only, finally, for updates, keep locked. And if you see some tool which addresses all of these things, surprise, only PGQ does it. Like, <laughs> and I'm not even sure they use the latter. So, that's so many dark. attempts to implement it, re-implement it. And when I say, guys, what about bloat? To-do to item. So if you yeah. see, if you find the tool which addresses all these three things, I don't care about language. Please tell me. I will advertise yeah. it, yes, because yeah. I see dozens of attempts to, to implement Q in Postgres, but these guys fail in these three areas. If, they sometimes implement skip locked, for example. It's very well advertised, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, but they fail to do bloat part or some indexes are not well organized. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Nikolai. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I do hope we helped some uh, Q builders, sure. Q in Postgres builders, because we need better tools. Or maybe some people can resurrect PGQ in terms of, uh, I don't know, like provide it as a service. Why not? 
some uh, yeah, managed well, yeah. providers. It would be good if some managed providers. I know they'd have to install something else, but I think it would be popular. If it's just one click. The but, demon, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thanks everybody. Good. Thanks, Nikolai. See you next Thank week. You. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.